Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein, award-winning journalist, director, producer, author, all part of Karen Zucker's rich and rewarding resume. As a producer for ABC's World News and Nightline, Karen's covered economic summits, presidential campaigns, the Olympics, social trends. She's the recipient of the Peabody and DuPont Awards for her role in ABC TV's coverage of 9-11. Oh, and Karen has three Emmys, the Gracie Allen Award, and the Cine Golden Eagle Award. She also co-wrote and produced the PBS NewsHour series Autism Now, a project inspired by her son's diagnosis of the disorder. That was followed by In a Different Key, a narrative history of autism, which was on the New York Times bestseller list and a 2017 Pulitzer Prize finalist in nonfiction. The book is now a full-length documentary that not only covers the history of autism, but also introduces us to Donald Triplett, who's in his 80s and who is the first child diagnosed with autism. Lots of ground to cover, so let's get this ball rolling. Karen, welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Hi, Sandy. Thanks for having me. I would like to know if when you were growing up or when you got to college that you had designs on being in the news media. Before I got into the into news, I did want I was studying filmmaking. While you were in college? Yes. In the hope that you would what? I knew I always wanted to make a difference. I didn't know in what way, mm-hmm. but that I wanted to use the media uh, to have a to be a voice to make a difference. I did I did know that before my life kind of decided what I would be doing. When this was in front of you, was there a lot of women who were feeling the same way as you when you were in co- when you were in college? You know, I was in the I was in the media, so I was with you know guys and girls at the time. I think that the, the difference turn my, my life took was autism and how that I used the media um, to try to make a difference, which was not my goal starting out at all. Right. So was your goal hard news? So my interest in kind of world events and in producing really dovetailed beautifully with news because I felt at the beginning years of my career, I was doing mini documentaries and telling important stories to the world. In the day that I thought, in, in the days that I thought we really were covering news that mattered. Give me a context in terms of the year when you first started out. And 83, 84. There were a lot of women, but they just didn't move up. So they just, they got hired and they just didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you could become an associate producer or producer, Mm -hmm. but you never sort of got past that. And that was changing in the years that I was there, actually. ABC, I was at ABC News, and that started to change because women, we all sort of organized. And um, I actually remember Amy Antelis, who's now the president of CNN, films, uh, being a producer and getting promoted to a a big job at the network after the women had gotten together and said, we're not making enough money and we're not in in positions that we should be in. So there was a pushback when I was very, um, when I had been starting out. Well, from being a producer, was your goal also to get on camera? Was that what you wanted to do? And the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do. I'm not happy. uh, Maybe that's the wrong word, but Comfortable, Um, maybe? Yeah. But I'm curious. I want to just go back to this producing and let's call it behind the scenes work. Mm -hmm. Did you have stories that you wanted to cover or were you basically assigned? Well, it was both. 
I pitched stories that I wanted to do, and they were mostly civil rights on civil rights um, focused on that. That didn't mean that I got to do them, but I got to do some of them in the early days. And I was assigned a lot of stories. Mostly we were assigned stories. You could pitch something and if, it, and if they went for it, you did it. And if they didn't, you didn't. But we did change. What did happen was when my son was diagnosed, there were no news stories on autism. Nothing had aired on, uh, on the networks. And what did you know about it? I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. And what year was that, that he was diagnosed? 96. Okay. And I immediately, you know, sort of had to hit the ground running and figure out what to do for my son. And then I decided I want, I, I thought that the rest of the world needed to know what autism was and, and become aware of it. At the time I was working with John Donvin, who was a correspondent, and I asked him to help me, you know, get these stories out there. And eventually we started a series called Echoes of Autism for the network. We did a half hour show on Nightline, a Friday night special. I guess that was probably around 2000, which was the first, you know, broadcast ever on autism. It was a half hour show. And I continued to be a news producer for World News Tonight at the same time when I would learn something new about autism that I thought could help educate both the world and people and families who have children and adults with autism. Um, Whenever something like that came up that I stumbled on, I would pitch that to the network and they were behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you also had a track record, right? Which was clearly very helpful. Yeah, I was already a producer when my son was diagnosed. Right. So was that a very easy transition to immerse yourself into this whole issue? I mean, it was a personal and it was a professional. Sometimes those are things, those are very difficult things to marry. Until the film, I found it very easy because I separated myself from it and I would, I was passionate about it. So I felt like I, maybe I did a better job even than I could have on another story. How many years were you with ABC? Oh, over 25. Wow. Uh-huh. And that was your first big job in New York City, right? Yes. When I was trying to get a job at ABC, I was over I was in the overnight at ABC and I during the day I was a few days a week I was a PA for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Talk about contrast. Yes. Uh-huh. And then I once I got a staff job, you know, I knew I knew that's what I wanted to do. Mhm. So the fact, again, that women were not so ubiquitous back in the day, when this all happened to you, was this is just kind of like, hey, whatever, I got to ABC? Or did you realize, in a way, how, what a big deal this was for you to be producer for a network, a network like ABC? Well, first of all, I worked my way up. So I started at the bottom. Um, I was a desk assistant. And I didn't think it was a big deal. I think that was part of, of why I did well. You know, I'm just not, I wasn't a starstruck kind of person. So when we did things, when you met really interesting or powerful people, um, it was never, you know, I just, just, it was part, it was exciting to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how lucky I was. I, you know, I got into ABC. This is in the days that um, they changed the way they hire people now. But in those days, 
I guess you had to know somebody that I, I mean, maybe in some ways it's the same today, how you get into places, but it's the diff- different, but the same. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college, my, I was doing a content analysis for a project in school with a student and my, and I was doing it at World News Tonight. I just happened to be doing it at World News Tonight. It was a six week study and my tape recorder, because that's what we used, right? Mm-hmm. Made a segment of that evening. <laughs> And which threw off the entire study. It was over spring break and the, right before I graduated. And the person I was working with said, well, you need to go to ABC and get the rundown for that day or our whole study is messed up. So I called the PR person for World News Tonight. And I remember actually I was going to go down in jeans and, you know, just get the rundown. And my father gave me a ride down there and he was going to give me a ride down there. And he said, you know, you're, you're not going to go there in jeans. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put on a skirt and you're going to look like a professional, which was very good advice, actually, <laughs> because I met the person who was the PR for World News Tonight, who then took me around the entire network, introduced me to everybody. And, um, you know, we just kind of hit it off and said, when you graduate, you know, reach out to me. That's the shorter version. And so, but I, I did. And uh, that's eventually how I got in, because I knew Tom Goodman, who then became the president of CBS um, PR, and then his, he has his own corporation, Goodman uh, Media now. So the world, it's a small world. I mean, they obviously saw something in you and what how great to be able to have that kind of marriage, which lasted a long time. Yes. I don't think that that's, you know, my, my kids are now at a, at a point in their life, my other children, where my son who wants to go into sports production and is freelancing doesn't like the idea of freelancing, but I think that's the world today also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is getting a staff job for 25, 30 years. I mean, overall, it was almost 30 years that I was at ABC because I went back a few times afterwards and did freelance for them mm-hmm. after I left. But I think you don't, you don't work at the same place forever anymore. Yeah, uh, that's right. That was in my father's day, for sure. Right. That's right, where you've got uh, the gold watch or whatever <laughs> after right. a while, exactly. whatever the, the gift was. So, Karen... Going for a film was out of your wheelhouse, huh? To a certain extent, it wasn't. But, you know, in terms of the very big picture, there was a lot that I needed to learn. But the fact was also that you had this foundation, again, of being able to do like the series of autism now and and getting your feet wet in terms of a, a different key. The book and, you know, the journalism, it's was the best stories were storytelling. And so that's what was going to make a good movie was great storytelling. And then the production aspect. And so the the storytelling part and some of the production aspect really did, you know, it had the same goal as the film. I always wanted to do the film. I wanted to do the film. The, the film was a bigger thing to me than the book because that you was could one not, I, not do the film. In other words, right. Right. And so what was that like for you when you received your son's diagnosis? You know, we didn't know what autism was. Right. And and, that, um, and he was how old when that happened, when he was diagnosed? He was two and a half. He was very young because okay. I was, uh, he was in a program at Barnard College, actually, a toddler program mm-hmm. where they suggested um, that he get evaluated. And 
I remember it was a two-way Merrick. It was like a program they were doing. It was research they were doing at Barnard. And it was a hard program to get into. And we were there and we could watch all the, you could watch the children, you know, the the toddlers through this two-way mirror. And I remember the first day being there, you know, there were there were 12 little people running mm-hmm. around and they told everybody, you know, sit down and have your juice and crackers. And, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and thought, well, he, you know, nobody's going to do that. Mm-hmm. This, was our, this was our first kid. So we didn't know until he was in a, in a social environment that he was different mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a very unique way. We knew he was different because he, um, he was reading at like one and a half, which is a sign of hyperlexia, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. you know, and he, what also had what's called echolalia, which is where you repeat things. So he right. would mm-hmm. walk around and say, you know, I love, love you very much, but please don't touch the plugs, you know, you know, wagging his finger at me. And he was basically, you know, mimicking what I had said, but to us, it was, you know, as I would know that I would have known that immediately with my second child, because but this was uncharted territory for you with your oldest son. Exactly. So we, we saw all the kids, 11 of the kids ran down and, you know, had their juice and crackers and Mickey was standing in the corner with his shoes, shoes and socks off, which was something he did and still dancing to the music. So that was like the first, Oh, he really is different mm-hmm. when you in a social situation than the other kids. And they recommended that he get an evaluation. So I was very lucky that I was where I was when I was because, because he had language and because, you know, his difference didn't man- manifest itself in a, a more kind of uh, obvious way, I, he never would have been diagnosed that young. I'm just curious, in that group of 12, how many were girls? It was 50-50. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And the year was what again? 96. 96, okay. Beginning in 97. And my mother, my mother passed away like two weeks after my son was diagnosed. And I was pregnant with my second son. So it was a hell of a year. I'll say. <laughs> and so it was kind of after I got through that year, you couldn't mess with me too much. Yeah, duh. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in some ways gave me a lot of strength, but I was going to do everything in my power. And in 96, 97, autism was very, very rare. Mm-hmm. Internet had just started. It was hard to learn anything about it. And I would call like, the president of some foundation or the person who ran, you know, the Autism Society of America or, and I would say, hi, I'm Karen Zucker. I'm calling from ABC News. And I get the top person on the phone. And then I'd say, but I'm not calling to do a news story. I'm calling about my son who was just diagnosed with autism. And so I was fortunate to be able to talk to really, you know, I reported on autism for my son. That was the first reporting I did. Hmm. Figure out what kind of treatment he should have. And at the time, Applied behavior analysis um, was was very very new. It is the gold standard now, but it was it was not something people were doing, and it was I thought a little bit extreme because my son had language, and I'm you know am I going to do forty hours a week of therapy with this little guy? And and it, you know I I stand by that being the right thing to do, and that's what you know that's what's that that is the gold standard now for treatment. Um, and we moved to New Jersey because that's where there were um, programs for him. And, and here we are. When <laughs> you were presenting this to the powers that be, was it a hard sell? Are you talking to do it at ABC? Yes. At the be- very beginning, yes. 
Um, in fact, World News wouldn't do the story at the very beginning because it was, you know, what's autism. Right. And Nightline is is the first place that where we aired a half hour show. And then we started to be able to convince World News. And we would do stories for both World News and Nightline. And so they would be joint projects, um, which, you know, it was always good if you were doing splitting the costs, you know, was always a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But we did not start at World News. It took it took a little while. In 2005, NBC sort of took took it on by storm. The news business really started reporting on autism in 2005. So John Donvan and I were the, the first team to really cover autism. And it was personal for him as well, wasn't it? Yes. He has a brother-in-law who lives in Israel um, who has autism as well, who's severely autistic. Um, and his mother-in-law, Edna Mishori, started the first program in the 60s for um, children with autism. Wow, that's really back in the day. Yeah. So how did the book come about in a different key? Was it on some level a natural act? On some level it was. It was just sort of like the next step. I know, you know, John was really interested in the history because of his mother-in-law. And it was sort of, where did it all start? You know, and how are we where we are today? And in order to figure out Tomorrow, going back to the history, was um, was a very good place to go. So we, we, we went back to the history. You know, I'm struck by the fact that on some level, this made perfect sense to you and it was a natural act to write a book. So nothing kind of stands in your way. Well, I have to give a lot of credit to my co-author. John Donvan is really a gifted writer. As a team, we've been really been able to conquer anything that we kind of set our minds to. I'm, I'm a bulldog. And, you know, so that, that helped in finding um, Donald Triplett, the first person ever diagnosed with autism. And, um, you know, sort of don't believe in the world word no. And John's really a gifted writer and storyteller. And together, we just kind of brought those strengths to do the book. What did you discover in doing your research? What did you learn about autism that maybe you didn't know? There's so much that I learned that I didn't know. Um, but I think personally, the biggest thing I learned was, you know, I, and, and my daughter says that she, she doesn't think I, I ever would have done anything differently. But I think that I was more judgmental as a parent of, of what people did historically in terms of putting their children away. Mm, mm -hmm. And the fact that your pediatrician and from the, from the second your child was born would say, you know, you, you need to put this, this, this baby away and get on with your life. So your other children have a life and, and there's no treatment, there's no therapy, there's no nothing. And I think that I was, I just, just couldn't believe anybody could do that, especially having, you know, a child who was, you know, disabled, our history is horrible. We've done horrible things to people who are different. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I mean, it, it's it's quite extraordinary from, you you know, eugenics and if you're not this right shape or size or color. Mm. I mean, we, we still do that today to a certain extent. And we're not there. We're not there with, you know, most of those things in life and as well as autism. But, you know, to go back and really see 
how horrific the treatment was to people who were different was just astounding. Did you know where you wanted to go with this film or did it kind of on some level take a life of its own as you started the filming and the researching? Are you surprised by what what came out? It, yes, a, no, a, a number of things. One is I think that originally we, want, we, we had thought we would do just the story on the first person ever diagnosed with autism because that was just such an amazing story. And then it's, you know, 1943, it's not so long ago. And then we saw that, you know, the, the forces of both the, you know, the, the records of our cruelty to people, but also you could see from Donald, the kindness and how, you know, race and money and privilege and all of those things have shaped where we are today. When we started out, I, I didn't, I don't think that I thought it would be as progressive or as important. Or as political? Well, you know, it became, what's interesting is the stories in it that are actually more political, we shot before they became really political. So, you know, we have a a section on race and how people of color are underdiagnosed. And that's really marginalized. Exactly. And um, that's something that we had shot um, before, you know, Black Lives Matter started. Um, and they, they, we have a, we have a story from Alaska about a, actually it's a, it was a young white man who was um, beaten by police, you know, and that story, you know, the, how police don't sort of get yeah. people who are, are different. Mm. So, so a lot of the stories that we had focused on, we were focusing on before they were out in the news. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very timely right now, our film yeah. in terms yeah. of the, what we look at in terms of the, of today's stories. Um, but it, it frames our history. Today's stories, you know, really frames what's been going on for, for forever. And I think my, we wrote a, a pretty substantial book on the, the history of autism, but it didn't reach um, what John and I call the civilians. It reached, even though it did very well, it was a bestseller and, you know, it was highly regarded. It was read mostly by people who are, you know, interested in the topic. And my goal was always to reach what we call the civilians, the people outside of the community. Me. You wanted to reach me. Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't feel that we did that. And so we had to figure out a way to make a film that was going to be you know, great storytelling, Mm. something that people who don't care about autism would want to watch. And that's, you know, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll have done that. I don't know how that's going to, that story is going to turn out yet, but that was the the goal to hit the civilians. And, um, and so I was never going to be in the movie and I was never going to expose my family. That's, that's not what most producers do. Right. Um, and, you know, didn't want to do that. But Mickey is really, he's one of those people who falls in the middle. So he, he doesn't have severe autism, um, but he needs support. But that means he's out in the community. And he's, he's, the, he's the guy who could do something where, where a policeman. Sure. Oh, God. 
you know, yeah. so, so all of those things, he's a very good example of people that you'll see in the community. Mm-hmm. And John Donvin, my co-producer, co-director, was really um, from day one wanted me to be telling, you know, Mickey's story simultaneously woven into, you know, all the other stories. I felt really, really strongly that about the race story and about really having, giving a voice to people with severe autism, who I think are really getting left out Mm -hmm. of the picture today because um, people who are much higher functioning are doing all the talking. And if you can't speak, you, you don't have that same voice. I happen to have stumbled on a series, was it Netflix, Love on the Spectrum? Did you see that? Yeah, it was terrific. Yes, um, just as a brief background, I I think it was four or six parts of following Mm -hmm. men and women from Australia. Yes. And uh, who are looking for love and that there were coaches to help with that. And it was heartwarming. It was eye-opening. It was just beautifully done. And, uh, you know, kudos for that. I, I would say for that series, as well as for your film, that they're clearly examples of, a, of public service. But here's the thing that's different about our film, and that was really important to me, and you're pointing it out. Um, and we point it out in our film as well. Those are the stories, love on the spectrum. Those are the stories that society sees. That's what people think autism is. These heartwarming and beautiful stories of people who are high functioning and and they're looking for love. They're not whacking their heads against a wall. They're mm-hmm. they're not still in diapers. That's the as as one of the uh, mothers who has a severely autistic son said in our film. You know that's the warm and fuzzy view of autism, and that absolutely. You know, the fact that people with higher functioning autism um, can get the support and understanding and compassion of someone like you to watch that series is beautiful. I mean, that that's fantastic. But we can't forget about all the other people with autism. The people who, when autism was first defined, this, that's who it was defined. Classic autism is not, you know, the person on love is the spectrum. When, when autism was first defined by Dr. Lee O'Connor, it was, it was much more severe. And most of those first 11 kids were in institutions, with the exception of Donald and a few others. So we forget that, um, that we forget the people with severe autism. And I really felt strongly that um, I wasn't going to do that in this film. And, mm-hmm. that, and they're not being researched in the same way anymore. We're, we're only looking, we're doing research for higher functioning people. And again, you know, and my son falls in the middle and, and he could have been on love is, you know, love on the spectrum. So, you know, I, but I have a, a very, very strong connection to families who really struggle every day to just uh, get through the day. In terms of one type of introduction, I was in those people's lives. If yes, and it's, and it's beautiful. It's done beautifully, and it really gives you insight into those individuals. But we're not seeing the companion series because the companion series is too, is, yeah. It's painful. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to go to the movies and see other people's troubles. No. 
And that's, so we tried in this film to sort of, you know, balance the storytelling that would, you know, make you laugh or cry or, um, you know, the whole range of emotion, because that's what we see in the media today. Um, We see, you know, atypical and we see, you know, the good doctor. And look, I watch it because I'm, you know, just as curious to how it's going to be portrayed. Um, But we don't see the stories about the people who are struggling. And, you know, I think you need to see that there's a spectrum and we need to care about everybody on the spectrum and, and understand it. I, when I get on my soapbox, because I just say this incessantly, because I firmly believe it, there's nothing greater to me than the power of the documentary to expose, educate, inform. <laughs> I, I I wish more and more documentaries, when they were shown in theaters and people were going to theaters, you know, would be up there uh, alongside of features, because that's the way you learn. Yeah, I agree. And the thing about this film also is we raised all the money for the film um, because we wanted to produce the film. Your film, your way, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, now it's kind of, that's what we did. And now we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, we wanted to be able, we didn't want anybody to tell us how to produce it. Mm -hmm. So to personalize it again, when you look at the film after not having wanted to be in it, Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? How how do you feel about you and your about you and your family? I'm anxious about it, to be mm-hmm. honest. But you know, if ultimately the film is going to bring good and make a difference, then that's you know, I mean, that's why I did it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm hoping for. So I, I I think I have to wait to see what happens to kind of have my my final. I, I think that's part of why it took so long to do. Also, is that. I didn't want to do it um, so that we, you know, my, my co-author, co-producer, the lot of push and pull on, you know, the best way to tell the story. And I, I do think, I do think that it, it was, it, it was the right way to tell the story. So that's sort of um, personal, but not personal, you know, mm-hmm. looking at it, it was a good way to tell the story. If, and if I wasn't in it, I would think that worked. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how wonderful to be able to have done that. I mean, you really should feel terrific about that. You might have gone in a little kicking and screaming, but it was so worth it. I hope so. You know, I believe it'll make a difference if it gets out there, when it gets out there, but it just needs to get out there. And and, um, I know that the few people who have seen it have felt that it it does what we set out to do, which is that, you know, it educates and inspires and... um, and at the same time makes you laugh. And what about reaction from your son? What has he had to say about it? You know, Mickey has not seen it. Ah, okay. And he hasn't seen it because he's, um, in his own way, he's camera shy. Mm-hmm. And um, except that, you know, there's actually even a scene in the in the film where he talks about, you know, if you don't want to be on camera, turn away. <laughs> um, so clearly was willing to do it, but he he would only do it with young women camera women because he likes girls and um, <laughs> has never had a girlfriend. So having, uh, when, when we, when we had the big camera and the, 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 our director of photography there, he got, he would be very gun shy and just was much more comfortable. So Mickey scenes are actually shot, you know, handheld by um, a woman uh, producer shooter. 
um, so that he would be comfortable. So Mickey is, um, it's much more cinema verite. Mm-hmm. When he asks to see it, um, I'll show it to him, but he hasn't asked. We did make, name our film company Perfect Productions, Perfect, P-U-R-R-F-E-T, mm-hmm. because uh, if, when you see the film, um, Mickey has a thing for cats. Ah, okay. So, so you capitalize, you capitalize, oh, never mind. Yes, <laughs> I was going to make a yes. really poor pun, but never mind. Yeah. Um, like a catastrophe. We do, we have all, he's feline fine. We have all that language. <laughs> he's going to have a meowy Christmas. <laughs> so. I'm just curious, uh, do you have other irons in the fire? I know this has taken up a lot of your time and focus, but um, is there anything you thinking about working on? I would love to do another documentary that has nothing to do with autism, but that would make a difference mm-hmm. um, in the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. Because nothing friend, is quite percolating yet. I haven't shifted gears yet. I, ha- I, have, to, I have to get this movie out there. Mm-hmm. So I have to st- stay focused on that. But uh, that would be the, the, next, the next thing I would want to do after, you know, I'm hopefully successful in getting this out into the world. Well, here's this, here's a deal that when you do, you'll contact us. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, really Karen, thank you so much for sharing your profession and your passion and your personal life. I, it was really very interesting. And the name of the film again is in a different key. Thank you so much, Sandy. Really, really lovely to talk with you. Oh, my pleasure. Join us for another edition of conversations with creative women. I'm Sandy Klein.